Old School Lane Casual Chats is brought to you by Old School Lane, producing various content from blogs, videos, and podcasts discussing about movies, TV shows, video games, and everything else in between since 2011. You can check out the podcast on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, Overcast, Breaker, Pocket Cast, and YouTube. We're associated with Channel Frederator, Manic Expression, The Comic Book Cast, and The Aaron Meta Show. Welcome to a new episode of Casual Chats. I'm Patricia, and I'm here with these two special guests. I'm here with uh, Chrissy, a.k.a. the diva from Musical Hell. Welcome back, Chrissy. Thank you. Good to be back. And I'm here with that long hair creepy guy. So welcome back, creepy. Yo. All right. So today we're going to be going into the 1998 Warner Brothers animated film Quest for Camelot in honor of its 25th anniversary. So we I can't believe it. We went from 10 movies looking back on Swan Princess to three movies looking back on Cinderella to one movie looking at <laughs> Quest for Camelot. Pretty soon we're going to be talking about shorts. <laughs> or we could talk about the 11th swan princess movie that's going to be coming out in a few days coming out on my birthday they still making those yes they they just released the trailer of the swan princess uh 11th movie called swan princess uh what was it called i forget what it was called they literally just posted it up a few days ago uh here it is swan princess a fairy tale is born and i saw the trailer and apparently it's about that Derek and odette are finally going to be king and queen and uberta is finally going to step down and then it goes into like this huge flashback where she first becomes queen and she has to be trained by it and also we have this other storyline involving with her and odette's mother becoming friends so that's a thing <laughs> okay yeah. i know it's weird but yeah they're still making more of these and uh, <laughs> the G- and the video is in like 360p <laughs> <laughs> technology am i right anyway but we're not talking about swan princess we're talking about quest for camelot so an interesting uh lineup of uh warner brothers failures that came out throughout the 90s and 2000s where they were trying to ride on the coattails of disney and then they yeah. tried to be all experimental and then that didn't work out and then they kind of few moments of triumph with the lego movies until they decided eh, we don't need those anymore and now warner brothers is eh, it's in a bit of a dumpster fire but i digress <laughs> let's talk about the good old days of warner brothers around the you know early to mid 90s when it was doing well with stuff such as like tiny tunes and animaniacs and then we saw the likes of space jam and oh boy was that a classic <laughs> but no uh, <laughs> Yeah, we, we know, we've talked about this with Swan Princess, that they wanted to, you know, ride on the coattails of all the Disney movies that were coming out during mm-hmm. the Renaissance period of the 90s. And yeah, Quest for Camelot is no exception, based off of a book uh, by Vera Chapman called The the King's Demo Cell. And I was looking into like the original source material of what it's about, and it's pretty much nothing like what you... it was it's apparently a pretty dark book it um, is. when i did the research i'm reviewing um you know my script for my episode which i did several years back so but um there was like sexual assault and death and you know all <laughs> sorts of you know stuff you're not going to get into an american family animated feature so yeah um, yeah i'm not like sure a... who looked at this and said yes this is our new you know proto disney story <laughs> yeah, but so. then again at this time disney was doing hunchback of notre dame so you know who knows i guess so <laughs> I, I i guess they were like saying hey um looks like princess and the goblin we can do that <laughs> Yeah, but no. It, yeah, so basically, I mean, we've had, um, you know, several attempts of trying to make 
a you know animated movie based off of Arthurian legend. I mean, we've already had Sword in the Stone back in the 60s. Um, mm-hmm. That was done by Disney. So I guess you're trying to write on the coattails. It's like, okay, we have fantasy, we have musicals, we have mm-hmm. you know a tale that happened long, long ago based off of a really well-known legend in England. So I guess, yeah, we have Hunchback of Notre Dame, we have Beauty and the Beast and various other you know stories that took place like long ago thousands of years ago in various countries so i guess they were trying to ride on that and um, i'm sure that the behind the scenes story is like no um stranger to a lot of animation fans but let's just say it was a major dumpster fire a lot of people were being fired a lot of people quit and there was a lot of mandate from Warner Brothers saying we want to add all these implements of the Disney formula into our movie and remove a lot of the source material that was the King's Demo Cell, which, I mean, I get it. You know, it's a pretty dark story, but they could have kept some of the elements with, you know, involving the story of um, Lynette and Leone and uh, Geharis and Gareth. But I guess you know let's change it up where instead of we have you know two sisters we have one that's consolidated instead of two brothers we have one that's consolidated instead of the red knight let's just have this guy who wants to take over camelot and return it back to the savage ages because sure because there's always because king arthur always seems to have like this one knight who's not in on on with the rest of it yeah i guess Um, regardless of which adaptation you go with there's always this one guy who's like not down with like the chivalry and um fairness and stuff and just wants to take over everything yeah like you have have this entire panel you have this entire panel of leftists and then there's like the one asshole who won't shut up yeah yeah the tucker carlson of the group undermining family values or 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 christian beliefs or 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 you know think of the children or or something so clearly the best way to do this is to return everything back to the age where you could just beat someone with a stick because you didn't like them yeah but rupert's (laughs) not even that subtle about it he just basically up and says you know i want all the i want all the cool stuff and i should be in charge i mean this is this guy is not a subtle villain no he's (laughs) not no Yeah, I, I, I definitely think there should there's probably going to be like a whole section of this of this episode where we discuss that and a lot of other issues. It does seem like these uh, productions you mentioned, like how the things behind the scenes were pretty much a disaster. It does feel like a, that that's a common that's a common theme in a lot of these films that were trying to ride the coattails of the Disney renaissance you know when when they saw that Disney was doing well with these kinds of movies they were like well we need to make a movie like this now you know especially especially when you're talking the comic relief I mean Aladdin came out it had Robin Williams you know doing what Mm -hmm. Robin Williams does best it was fantastic it is an iconic performance so you know all of a sudden everybody was thinking hey you know what we need we need like one or two comedians doing like all this anachronistic crap um in the middle of the story (laughs) yeah i I think that what sums it up perfectly on the behind the scenes issues was uh believe it or not laura faust uh, who you may know as you know a major writer and animator for things such as the powerpuff girls foster's home the creator of my little pony friendship is magic she summed it up the best when she was actually one of the people who worked on this film back in the 90s i'm just going to quote what she said Warner Brothers did not know what they were doing. They didn't care about animation being as an art form as well as entertainment. They wanted profits. If they wanted a bad Disney knockoff, they should have talked to Dom Bluth on their part. <laughs> yeah. Wow. yeah, I know. Wow. She, Lauren Faust said that. Wow. Anyway, Camelot, it was the nineties. That was a fair cop for Don Bluth. I mean, they'd be honest. Yeah, I guess that's yeah. true. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, go listen to, you know, Diva's discussions on all the bad Don Bluth films. I've done a podcast on all the Sullivan Bluth films, so go check that out. Anyway, let me just continue. Camelot Diva was... is never going to forgive Bluth for that one scene in uh, Troll in Central Park. And you know what? It's kind of funny I'm because I'm, I'm not going to forgive Don Bluth for a lot of things, but... <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's actually funny. I'm going to Momocon as of the recording of this podcast um, next week. I'm actually going to post this on the day that i'm actually there so i'm gonna see don bluth at momocon i'll just tell him thanks for central park (laughs) anyway let me just continue on before i just go crazy 
uh, Camelot was planned as an animated feature in the veins of Ralph Bakshi's Wizards, you know, something with a PG-13 rating. In the end, they didn't want to do it. Nearly everyone I worked on Camelot hated it and didn't even want to talk about it. Personally, it makes Dom Bluth's bad movies in the 90s look good. It was rather stressful since production time was overhauled for us animators to stay at the studio longer to animate the scenes since Warner Brothers was about to be late for a deadline on the movie. When it finished, it tanked. I myself, along with the people who I worked with, knew it was going to bomb. The heads of Warner Brothers said, why did this bomb? What I said to them was, you made it worse and turned something good into something nobody wants to look at. They even had to cancel an animated film that a guy by the name of Milton Knight pitched to them. Only because they couldn't picture cartoony animation worked uh, working out for animated features. Everyone I know thinks a PG-13 animated feature would have been better than a poor Disney knockoff. It still annoys me that the female character looks like Belle while the guy looks like the human version of the Beast. <laughs> oh yeah, you like you can I think, look at Yeah, I think she's probably exaggerating a bit because the Pebble and the Penguin exists and I would definitely <laughs> say this is better than that and and Troll in Central Park. So, um but yeah, it is it's not it's not very good. It's obviously, you know, Disney light and if they had the courage to actually do a mature animated movie, which again, you know, in the 90s in America, even now in America, you know, is not something uh, people think about. Um, I think, you know, it might have been, you know, maybe not, you know, blockbuster successful, but I think they would have had, you know, a pretty good cult film on their hands. Oh, yeah, for sure. I, um, I guess cold films wasn't exactly something that they were thinking of. Let's make a bunch of money of it. I'm sure for an independent studio, like say Leica, maybe mm-hmm. would have gotten away with something like this, but a major company like Warner right. Brothers, yeah, cold status films, I mean, that didn't exactly, you know, what, what they had in their minds. I mean, even like- That, like, that wasn't what they were going for. No. No, they, that wasn't what they were going for. Even with like the Iron Giants, even though that that became a cold film a few years after that right. premiered. That I was actually what they thinking were of that. For. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, I, if I could say real quick, you know, yeah, since, since we're more or less on the subject, you know, you mentioned how the it's come up already. I was going to save this for later, but it's come up already. You know, the main character looks like Belle, and her love interest looks like the human version of Beast. Right, a little bit, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, like I can remember seeing adverts, like you know, the trailers on TV for Quest for Camelot, and just you know, my initial knee jerk reaction was cheap Disney knockoff and you know having you know actually you know like now you know when I watch it now it it still feels like that but it kind of goes deeper too I'm, I'm gonna credit uh, Lindsay Ellis you know formerly known as the nostalgia chick said this first I'm, I'm giving credit where credit's due but she uh she said once in one of her one of her one of the last videos she made you know she described uh kid rocks all summer long you know like it's you can like the song but it's this weird mashup of werewolves of london and sweet home alabama and while you're listening to it it just makes you wish you were listening to either one of those songs (laughs) instead of appreciating it for what it's worth and i that has actually happened to me i was standing in line at i think i was in i was at i was at my bank I was standing in line and waiting, you know, waiting for my turn at the teller. And I realized that that song was playing. And the more I listened to it, the more I had the compulsion to go home and listen to Werewolves of London on YouTube. (laughs) (laughs) My goodness. is, Is like that. Like it fits into that same idea. It's, yeah. It's, you can like quest for camelot you know it's not the best disney knockoff movie out there but you know if you got something out of quest for camelot okay great you know but for me personally it feels like that it feels like this weird mashup of different disney idea from different disney movies that just you know when you look at the finished product it just i can't help but think that I could be watching one of the movie, one of the good movies that, you know, this movie took from instead of what I'm watching right now. (laughs) (laughs) Especially around that time, uh, you know, considering that this came out in 98. So, um, you know, DreamWorks was already getting into the competition with Ants and a Prince of Egypt. Um, Right. And then we also had Mulan coming out in 98. And Mm -hmm. 
um, yeah, we had like several movies that were coming out around the same time that was showcasing that. Yeah, I mean, Warner Brothers isn't exactly one that would be along with the cool kids yet. Yeah, and it's kind of like you know Disney. This is we're talking tail end of the Renaissance here, so this is kind of when they were were getting away from you know the um well for lack of a better term you know the princess fairy tale formula and they were going into you know they went into mulan and uh pocahontas and hunchback and tarzan uh to varying degrees of success so you're looking at this and it's like they're not they're not just trying to be disney they were trying to be disney from like five years ago right right and it's also and this was also well after you know like like in the early 90s, like after the success of uh, The Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast, when everybody realized that, oh, Disney's getting back on track, they're bringing their A-game again, well, you know, like we've got to, you know, start doing the same, we've got to try and cash in on this, you know, and there were, in the early 90s, there were a lot of movies that were trying to ride the gravy train of that, so the fact yeah. that it took them until 1998 to get on board the same train of thought just kind of makes this not only feel like a bad Disney knockoff, but a bad Disney knockoff that came really, that, that it came too late to really matter. Yeah, <laughs> right. Any kind of impression or lasting impact, other than just the fact that it's, it's infamous reputation and the behind the scenes drama, I think, are what it's more, better known for now than the quality of the finished work itself. There is know? also another thing that is pretty well known uh, that many people don't even remember that it came from Quest for Camelot, but we'll get to that later. Mm -hmm. So yeah, let, let's get into this... Um, Fantastic story, shall we? <laughs> okay, so the movie opens up with this opening orchestral scope done by Patrick Doyle. And it's basically just introducing that, you know, 10 years prior, the whole world was in disarray. And there was like fighting with brother with brother. And then, you know, there was this magical sword called Excalibur that was inside of a stone and nobody can pull it off. And the only one who was destined to pull it off would rule over, you know, England and basically have uh, Camelot on their hands. And it turned out to be a, you know, a young boy named, you know, Arthur. And he was the one who became the true king and then uh, everything was peaceful and prosperous and the story is told by a one of his knights called sir lionel and he's explaining this to his daughter kaylee and, and then he, Martin Luther King Jr. cured racism and all the white and black yeah, people got along just perfectly. <laughs> it's it was pretty boilerplate so um, Camelot backstory yeah. um, as far as that goes. Um, there's one odd thing. Apparently, you know, Arthur showed Kaylee was born on the day like Arthur pulled the sword out of the stone or yes. something. So, yeah. So apparently she was destined to save Camelot from the day she was born because that is the same day that Arthur pulled the sword out of the stone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, her dad's telling her this and she's saying, oh, I want to go to Camelot and be a knight and, you know, all that stuff. And he's saying, I promise I'll take you to Camelot one day. So, you know, like this guy is not going to make it past the opening <laughs> yeah, credit. This guy has doomed, doomed animated parent written all over him from the moment he shows up. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Talking of talking of, you know, Disney cliches. <laughs> yeah, well, at least yeah. it's not the mom who dies. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that is the true. The mom actually plays true. a pretty important role in this story, which is, you know, surprising. So, yeah. yeah but yeah. to be fair, I mean, you know, we've already had like other dads who did die, like Mufasa. And then mm -hmm. later on, we've had like, you know, Clayton and, you know, Frodo, if you want to call him as a father figure, even though he sucked, sure. Yeah. And Kerchuk then we also had, Frollo. we also had General Shang's dad who died. So, oh, I guess, yeah. So, yeah, I guess this was like the, the time period of like the dead dads. It's like, yeah, we've already played the mom thing to death. Let's just kill the dads <laughs> off. Yeah. You get to and lose. And I'm not even counting parents. the moms that didn't even show up. I mean, like, you know, Belle and um, Jasmine, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, they probably just like died in childbirth or something, whatever. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. 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 Like, childbirth is like the number one killer of moms in Disney movies. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't even buy that they had like a Joker ending where they fell off a cliff or something. I honestly <laughs> think that like bringing this one child, this child is so special that bringing her into the world just like completely trained this poor woman and now that she's that she now that she's completed her task well it's time for me to croak bye clonk <laughs> you puberty by the way clonk. yeah pretty much yeah have fun with your have fun with your goofy hapless dad <laughs> yeah <laughs> 
Yeah, so going into the gathering of the knights at the round table, and then we get Earth. our introduction. Fire! <laughs> Goodness! <laughs> Peace, prosperity, ju- justice, truth. Mastodon! <laughs> yeah, they're like naming all these random virtues as they march into Camelot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I, and I know quoting that person is like, you know, like not kosher anymore, but I will concede that that was actually a joke that he made that like legitimately had me laughing so hard that mm-hmm. I had to stop the video. Fair enough, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so let's let's go into our villain, shall we? Sir Ruber. So he is as subtle as a thunderstorm. <laughs> Yeah, yet Gary Oldman is obviously, you know, having a five-course meal of the scenery on this one. So credit where it's his favorite brand of sauce. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Now, to be fair, I get what they were trying to do. They were trying to be like, oh, I'm the evil yet hammy maniacal villain. We've seen this already with like Jafar and Scar again, you know, going mm-hmm. into those kind of villains. I mean, at this point in time, you know, they were trying to be a little bit more s- subtle, quote unquote, with their villains. I mean, at the time when Disney was doing it, it was like we had Sean Yu, who was like yeah. more or less kind of like really subtle with his um, evilness. And I, right. I guess, you know, we've, I guess, you know, with Ants, we had General Mandible, which we kind of knew mm-hmm. he was kind of like the bad guy, but he wanted to commit complete genocide over the ants and the, you know, the, the survival of the fittest stuff, which makes sense, you know, if you you look into that perspective and, uh, you know, going into like a Prince of Egypt where you have Ramesses, who's the bad guy, but his, you know, way of, you know, wanting to carry on his father's wishes makes a lot of sense if you look at it from that perspective, as well as mm-hmm. tradition. And when you read through the Bible about how, you know, they didn't want the Hebrews basically taking over Egypt because they were being uh, overrun. So again, you know, when you look into that aspect, it makes a lot of sense. So again, this feels like it's a few years too late where it's like, oh, look at me. I'm going to take over Camelot. I'm going to take it back to where it was like all violent and we're going to go through the savage ages because peace and prosperity is boring. Right. But, you know, like even Jafar, you know, like, I mean, as much as he had the whole obviously evil looming bad guy who can barely Mm -hmm. restrain you know just the fact that he's plotting and scheming against the sultan and jasmine you know like he he was i mean like you know the sultan was was like not that bright and jasmine well you know her words were falling on deaf ears so you know you at least had a an explanation for and that kind of stuff and you know yeah same with scar i mean you know he's you know he had like the obvious evil going on but like simba was like you know whatever the lion equivalent of eight is and he Basically. could and you know scar could be suave when he wanted to be and charming he could be so charming he could, you know and there was also yeah, this, and ruber's this... not like that oh, ruber is you know i'm evil i'm going to you know i'm going to be evil and threatening to everybody and i'm, and it's so I'm easy kind of wondering how did this guy evil. even get on to how did this guy even get into the round table i mean you know if arthur is, good if arthur is half the king Thank he you. is supposed to be this guard he should have taken one look at this guy and said you no go <laughs> yeah thank you thank you thank you next this is like how how did you get this job was that what was it so important that you have anyone sit in that one chair you just put a prop of a straw dummy camelot has a staffing issue i guess i don't know yeah it doesn't really make a lot of sense where you have this guy yeah i i I don't get this piece of prosperity but now the recession has hit and now they they can't find someone to sit in that one chair so this (laughs) is the guy they hired i i really don't understand it either i mean considering that you know everyone else is wearing blue he's the only one who's wearing red which i get he's supposed to be an homage to the red knight but still, it's like, yeah, guy with red armor, long hair, long nails, just this conniving smile. Twitchy and... eye. I Twitchy mean, you know, this I was, was when... for someone to mention the eye. Yeah, the, and, and you know, really angular features. I mean, this is the t- this is the time period when all the villains had like the cheekbones and the um, vaguely anti-Semitic nose, and you know that if, if he got any more angular, he would be a Picasso painting. Yes. Exactly. Yes, he would. The chin, yes. jutting chin. It was, yeah. A chin that could open cans. 
Jay Leno is back in the corner weeping. <laughs> yes, he's like, yeah. It's it's like Shrek said. Do you think maybe he's compensating for something? <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. So, um, King Arthur is g- gathering all the knights on the round table, and they're going over some announcements regarding about that each of the knights are given an equal share of the land, so that it can be able to help out the people. And of course, Ruber's like saying, "I want all of the land, and I want to be the king because." I'm yeah, evil. I should get more than obviously I should get more than everybody else. <laughs> yeah, clearly. Like, I mean, seriously, I mean, what have you done that you deserve more land than everybody else? Seriously. Mm-hmm. Right. I haven't seen anything of what you've done, but okay, sure. Why not? So then Sir Lionel saying, you know, the king has decided, and I will not serve a forced king. And, you know, of course, Ruber attacks him and kills him. And then he tries to kill Arthur, but of course, Excalibur saves him. And I guess this is something that I will say in terms of like, this seems familiar. And the Swan Princess, you remember of how, you know, King William (laughs) basically tells Rothbard to go away and then we never see him again until he's ready to attack. So Mm -hmm. I guess it's kind of similar, which I guess in the, you know, Quest for Camelot's case, at least Rupert locked the door and then they couldn't escape, which makes a lot of sense. But still, it's like they couldn't have wanted posters saying, watch out for this guy. He's dangerous. (laughs) No. Okay. Sure. So, yeah, we have another 10 years passing, and we have Kaylee, who's already grown up, and she is wanting to be a knight, just like her father, and she wants to be able to save Camelot when she hears the news that a griffin came by and stole Excalibur, and this is giving me Terran from um, Black Cauldron vibes. I want to be a hero. I don't want to be this farm boy. I want to be a great warrior, and you have no proof of this whatsoever. Yeah, Kaylee suffers from a very serious case of not like other girls syndrome. Her main, you know, which is, you know, it's okay if you have a character, you know, who is not traditionally feminine. But when you make her entire personality like, you know, I don't want to wear dresses and do embroidery. I want to wield a sword and be a hero and be a knight. And it's like, okay, yeah, but or, you know, that and make that her entire personality. It just, you know, falls flat. Yeah, it really does. And you would think that, you know, throughout the course of the movie, she would get better. Like, she would be able to learn all of her mistakes and she would be Mm -hmm. able to become better. I mean, we even see, you know, throughout her montage where she's like, you know, throwing the pitchfork and aiming it just right and being able to ride around in her horse and all that kind of stuff. We think, okay, you know, she's just starting off. I mean, she's a farm girl who thinks that she can be great. I mean, she needs to be able Mm -hmm. to have that progress of learning how to become a knight and become brave but we never really get that and and i think that's a shame because i think that you know had they you know executed the story a little bit better we could have had a case where we would have seen like the you know the ordinary person become a hero i mean everybody loves a good underdog story yeah i mean Mm -hmm. uh we keep bringing up mulan because it was the same year and i think you know that's a very good way of developing a, a heroine who is not traditionally feminine Um, She starts out in this role that she tries to fit into because, you know, she wants to do it for her family and it's because her culture tells her this is what she has to be and it's not suitable for her. So she's, you know, confused and upset and um, disheartened and then circumstances intervene where she has to, you know, disguise herself as a man and become a soldier and it's not easy for her, but she's able to develop her truth strengths, which are, you know, resourcefulness, um, you know, uh, quick thinking. Um, she's very innovative. And that's where th- you really see who she is as a person. And it's just fantastic to watch. Absolutely. In fact, I would even say that if you want to see Quest for Camelot done right, watch Mulan. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that it's a great example because when you know about the legend of Mulan, she was able to do such a great job of fooling the soldiers. She became one for 12 years. And it wasn't until months after she retired that they were like, wait, you were a woman this whole time? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So yeah, Mulan did a fantastic job of implementing the same things Kaylee is trying to do, where, you know, she started off as nothing. She was just this lowly girl who noticed that her father was dying. Her little brother was too young to go into the war. And so she had to be able to, 
you know, sign up and disguise yourself as a man and fight off against, well, I mean, I guess it depends on the, the legend. Some say Mongolian, some say Hans. It, it depends. Yeah. But more or less, it's the same premise in which, like, you know, her family is in crisis. There's this huge um, threat that's happening into their country. She has to go out there and she needs to be able to save the day. So, yeah, pretty much the same premise, except mm -hmm. executed way better. So, yeah, I'm. If anything, I thought that maybe Garrett should have been the 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 main protagonist in this because he's the one who has a backstory. He's the right. one who has a bit of a tragedy that happens to him throughout the mil the movie. He's the one who actually becomes better. Like he wanted to be like just this hermit who lived in this forbidden forest all by himself, but he actually grows and progresses as a character who, you know, starts interacting with more um, people and more creatures. And mm -hmm. then eventually he starts, you know, overcoming his obstacles, both inner and outer. And then he basically becomes the hero in the end. If anything, he should have been the main character. Yeah. Anyway, so we have... Also, uh, you didn't have a whole lot of disabled main characters in animated movies in the 90s, so... That's true, you're right. That, that is, like, a, a small thing. If you can give, like, something to this movie, you can't say that. Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, the closest equivalent that we had was Extreme Ghostbusters, if you remember that there was a character who was in a wheelchair. Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, in the eight, you know, there was always this kind of, you know, you had the group uh, in the series, in a, in a cartoon series, and you had the group and they had like, you know, you had like the white boy who was usually the leader, you had a girl, you had, you know, probably a black kid and an Asian kid, you might have like a disabled kid, and it was just kind of like, uh kind of the diversity band basically <laughs> you know what i just thought of this you know what the kid's name of extreme ghostbusters is who's in the wheelchair what garrett <laughs> oh jeez. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow what a coincidence anyway so yeah i i think that uh you know we would get a little bit more diversity with other characters later on i mean ta from avatar the last urban is a fantastic example mm -hmm. of using her blindness so that she can be able to fight off against anything. So again, you know, it's basically examples of things that we would see better on much later on. So I guess, you know, maybe quest for Camelot walks so other things could run <laughs> on. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to give it this credit. <laughs> anyway, I digress. So yeah, we have, of course, Kaylee saying, I want to be a knight and I want to be able to save Camelot. And of course, then we have, uh, Ruber coming in and kidnapping Juliana because he wants to use her so that they can be able to get in. And you have this really awkward song in the mix, which is supposed to be the villain song, which, you know, for a lot of people, they say that the villain song is like one of the best, if not the best songs in the entire movie. And this is one of the worst that I've ever heard of. <laughs> yeah. It's not yeah. very good. I mean, he, he, he more talks then he sings and then he just basically has this huge montage of turning all of his henchmen into like these you know like really weird metal creatures with weapons or something like that that yeah, he... basically um he's got like this potion which there's like a throwaway line that he says he got it from witches and that's about it we don't know you know <laughs> You know, it he just happens to have this potion from somewhere, and basically what it does is it fuses um, organic beings with like weapons and stuff. So like he throws like a rooster and an axe together, and you get like this goofy, you know, rooster with an axe beak on it, and that's like yeah. one of the comic relief characters. And then he throws his goons in, and then they have like maces for hands. And his ultimate th the ultimate thing is that he wants to bond with Excalibur, basically. Yeah, and funny yeah. thing that you mentioned about that uh, chicken mixed with the axe, he's played by Jaleel White. Oh, yes, he is. I forgot about that. Like, that is a very... You go from Steve Urkel to Blade to Sonic the Hedgehog to Blade <laughs> Beak. Like, wow. What the hell? What happened? I know, what happened? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm just, like, baffled as to, like, what I was seeing when I, you know, when I first heard that. And, you know, I, I just saw Jaleel White recently in a movie that uh, he was with um, Adam Sandler. And mm -hmm. um, I think it was... Um, 
what was it called? Uh, Hustle. That's what it was called. It was Hustle. And, you know, he, he doesn't have like a major role in that movie, but it's a really great movie if you've ever seen it. It's, uh, it's based off of a, a story involving with like um, Adam Sandler playing as this NBA scout who goes over to Spain to try to see if he can sign up this um, kid who goes over to uh, play basketball in the streets and, you know, signs him up over to the Philadelphia 76ers. So, yeah, mm. watch watch the movie. It's on Netflix. Really yeah. great. Check it out. Anyway. So you have um, finally Kaylee who gets free because, oh, it's the other henchman's turn to be turned into a whatever that thing is. And it, then, yeah, it's pretty stupid how she gets out. Exactly. It's like, <laughs> oh, it's my turn. Okay. Well, l- let me go then. And then you have this um, scene in which, when, you know, Juliana tells Kaylee, you know, go find Arthur. And it's your, you know, you have to do it. It's, you know, you're the only hope that he, we have. And, then she sings what's probably, like I said earlier, that it's probably one of the other things that a lot of people took away from this movie that has become so infamous that nobody even remembers that it came from this in the first place. The prayer song. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah I have this heard is... this song so many times because when I'm at church, I hear people sing it all the time. <laughs> I've seen, I'm not even joking. I was. Uh, I, I believe. I believe you. This is exactly the sort of song that um, you know evangelicals will appropriate and do praise band with. So yeah, I, I was doing. Uh, I was filming an Easter special for ABC, and I saw Yolanda Adams and Donnie McClurkin singing this song as a duet, and <laughs> it was amazing. Just seeing everybody starting to tear up, and mm-hmm. everybody just starting to like you know, raise their hands up and just like being in awe with this. It was uh, quite an experience. I got to tell you, but yeah, it's honestly, I think it is honestly the best song in the score. Um, And of course it's done by Celine Dion, who is, who was, was of course like the nineties queen of move of, you know, awards bait uh, pop ballads at the time. So especially like the really, you know, like the big, not just pop ballads, but like the really big, orchestral grandiose pop ballads you know the kind that are like literally going to make you feel like you are being blown out of your seat as soon as the credits roll Mm -hmm. yeah pretty (laughs) much i mean unless we say more my heart will go on Uh, yes yeah yeah. and i mean like it's it's not like even it's not she didn't that didn't even really go away if you like listen to uh ashes you know which was used for deadpool 2 of all things you know which sounds like the and I mean, you know, of... credit where it's due. I mean, she was, she's, she's pretty good at it. I mean, uh, oh, yeah. I think, you know, the, I think the end credits Beauty and the Beast. I mean, I still get chills every time I listen to that. So. Oh, absolutely. And that was like, what, oh, yeah. her first song that she ever performed? Like, you know, it was like her first, first, I think it was like one. the first think, one yeah, that she, noticed. Yeah, yeah. She was just, I think she was just starting to, you know, break into, you know, top superstar status at that point yeah because she was mostly known in canada right yeah yeah she did have a following in canada i think the beauty and the beast beauty and the beast was the one that got her noticed outside of canada mm-hmm. yeah that that sounds about right yeah and, and that song won a golden globe it was nominated for an oscar for best original song but then it lost to when you believe with uh, with whitney houston <laughs> and mariah carey from prince of egypt yeah <laughs> which should have been which should have earned it but it, i don't know it's just speaking, when you believe speaking of quasi-religious like um pop songs yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's another yeah song that i hear pretty much all the time when i'm at church (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah it just it it sounds like their voices aren't meshing well there's no harmony there it's their voices are too busy competing to each other so it's less a beautiful ballad and more like the dueling divas moral (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah pretty much but yeah Yeah, i i think that um we have that song playing while kaylee's trying to run off and she goes into the forbidden forest and then she meets up with garrett and then she starts learning that he's blind and he wants to be away from her because you know he's a hermit and he's all alone and you know he thinks that nobody else will understand him so mm-hmm. yeah he plays into that trump card and then, mm-hmm. of course, you have Ruber, who learns from his griffin that Excalibur is lost in the forest, and so he has to go after it. And then we have, you know, a whole bunch of, like, crazy mischief involving with this forbidden forest, which you would think that this forest, this enchanted forest, would be, like, really, you know, interesting, because we spend a good majority of the time in, in, the, for- in the forest. There are, some I- there are some ideas in this that I think, you know, they... 
probably because um, there was such a toxic work environment that aren't pro they aren't properly capitalized on. But this forest, basically, you know, everything is, you know, alive. Well, you know, <laughs> sentient, basically, almost yes. like the plants are reaching out for them. And there's like all these, you know, weird vines and there's some really interesting stuff going on and you know it's kind of fun to see garrett navigate it um you know to, to, without his sight um even while kaylee's you know trying to you know, fumbling along behind him but again it's like you know okay this is fun but it doesn't have much purpose and we really need to explore it more to capitalize on it yeah right. pretty much like I, I would understand that they were trying to like do some really interesting things with this forest. Like, wow, everything is coming to life. It's kind of like you know going into Beauty and the Beast again. It's like, wow, we have this enchanted castle and we have all of these uh, creatures and we have all yeah. of these furnitures and we have all of these like you know sentient beings it's, that are coming yeah, to life. Yeah, it's almost a bit like Avatar in that um, it's this almost you know alien landscape where everything is you know foreign and strange and beautiful and also out to get you <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah um, and i think that what made avatar work is that there was awa there was a, a there was a deity that actually had everything connected it was basically trying to be like a social commentary on the environment and about yeah. nature and that made sense on why it was important to protect and why that humans were trying to go after it with unobtainium and it's like oh we you know we have to protect you know what we have because this is our home that made a lot of sense on why pandora was this important place yeah that and you protected. can tell there's you can tell there's like a lot of you know world building stuff that they didn't put in the movie but they knew was there yeah yeah, yeah. that's that's really another problem with the movie as a whole is that there are a lot of there are good ideas in this movie it's like it's it's not a situation where just everything about the movie is bad there are some there's some good ideas in this movie. We mentioned mm -hmm. earlier, you know, it's one of the few mo animated films where we can, you know, point to and say that there was an actual disabled person. Yeah, sorry, a, mm -hmm. a, a differently abled person in uh, in the film. And uh, you know, there are there are a lot of good ideas here. They just aren't really there's yeah, on. and there's you know, um, there's actually a pretty good voice cast. I mean, we've got. Um, you know, obviously Gary Oldman's having, you know, the time of his life. Pretty much. Um, <laughs> but also we've got Carrie Elways as um, Garrett. Um, Pierce Brosnan, I think, is like King Arthur. Yeah, he is. And he's not yeah. singing. Yeah, he's got a voice <laughs> double, so that's good. They got Brian Adams as Carrie Elways' voice double, though, and that doesn't quite work. But... Yeah, that sounded really weird. It's like, where did his accent go? Yeah, I mean, he's, you know, talking like Carrie El He's, you know, pr he's talking like Wesley, you know, with that nice little, you know, British accent accent and then all of a sudden he, he's got this rocky brian adams voice what the hell <laughs> yeah what the hell i mean i understand that you know oh we need to have the voice doubles to you know have you know the, yeah the actors, and that like, was pretty you know that was pretty common but i mean you know very often it was uh broadway actors uh leah salonga uh was i think jasmine's and, uh, and mulan yeah and mm -hmm. mulan yeah and um yeah he had other people uh doing that as well so yeah pretty much that made sense like it was able to kind of like match with what the yeah, voice actors I think, were doing um hugh panero i think was did uh some voice voice doubling for swan princess if i remember correctly yeah that sounds about right right which again makes a lot of sense because they got broadway actors but mm -hmm. not like well-known musicians and you know pop yeah singers. and they and they kind of you know it sounded more or less the way the character sounded when they spoke yeah which uh yeah when you hear kaylee and garrett sing it does not sound like the same actor it clearly shows <laughs> it's pretty distracting and you would think that okay they're trying to like sing about what they're going through they're trying to sing about how they're feeling but then you're like wow where did his accent go why is he why is she so high-pitched and all that stuff it's yeah you're not supposed to be thinking about that when you're trying to listen to the music yeah yeah and and it's apparent when you know garrett sings his ballad and it's like 
you know, you have all these cool things that are happening in the background with the forest and everything coming to life and the rocks coming up and the plant mm -hmm. is a rope, you know, going off like a helicopter propeller. But mm -hmm. then you're like, okay, but the singing doesn't match. <laughs> yeah. It's um, one of those things I encounter a lot um, when I'm reviewing a movie and I'm looking at something. It's like, if this were a better movie, I would not be thinking about this. Right. Because, you know, either the story is boring or something's going on or I'm not engaged. And it's like, I can't ignore what's going on. Right. I mean, that's, I think, where you get, that's where I think the nitpicking comes in. Not because, you know, if it's just you know not because you know the storytelling it the storytelling needs to be consistent it's if the storytelling is good enough you're not going to care about that right but if the storytelling isn't doing its job well then the elephant is right there and yes you're and you're just gonna it. like keep looking at it because there's nothing else to pay attention to pretty exactly. much exactly you know the 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 illusion is ruined when you can see the elephants being ushered off stage <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah, so we go over to Dragon Country, which... Oh, jeez. Okay, let's get this out of the way. So we have uh, the comic relief. We have Devin Ooh. and Cornwall, played by Eric Idle and Don Rickles. Where do we begin? <laughs> okay, I'll tell you. They're the worst part of the movie. They are the worst part of the movie. Their song is terrible. It's awful. I mean, yeah, they they're introduced um with this um you know, they're they're introduced like so they say we're what happens what we're what happens when cousins marry and it's like, okay, <laughs> incest <laughs> joke. Wow. Incest jokes in our ki in our kids movie. Nice. Yeah, so they have like a stupid song that has a bunch of, you know, anachronistic pop culture references um and the, most of them know, the are like, you know, Aladdin did it. Yeah, well, yes, but again, it was like Robin Williams and it, so he he made it work, and also um, Robin Williams obviously was just you know riffing on stuff, and they picked the best of the best and uh, w animated it. Yeah, pretty much. Mm -hmm. This they just have a song, and it's like, okay, so who are some famous couples that we could have? Uh, Sunny and Cher, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we have Elvis. Elvis. <laughs> yeah, I think there was. I think there's like a Phantom of the Opera reference. There was a there Phantom somewhere. of the Opera reference. There's yeah. a there's a Jason Voorhees reference. Yeah, there's there's yeah. A so lot. it's just like all this and it's just like all this anachronistic pop culture stuff that has you know nothing to do with anything. I mean, Robin Williams was doing the voices, which is why they mm -hmm. had him. You know, just the genie transforming into Arnold Schwarzenegger and John Wayne and um you know everybody else but it's just like they're just dressing up the characters in funny costumes while they sing basically yeah yeah that, that's like basically, literally yeah. the only references that they've done it's not like they make pop culture jokes on the fly right they just do it when they have that one song and it's just like oh look at this here's this funny reference while we're singing about i would be better off without you so mm -hmm. yeah okay whatever yeah and yeah, and then they have to stick around with the movie because they helped Kaylee and Garrett escape from Dragon Country and now they're banished because they helped out a human. And I'm like, great. We get to Well, hang it's out also with implied guys. they're kind of the runts of the dragon litter and nobody really likes them anyway. Yeah, I guess that's true. Which, you know, I can't I... blame them. And also they've kind of got this... <laughs> They've kind of got this semi arc where they're unable to fly because they're disagreeing all the time, and at the end they're only able to do it when they're when they agree with each other. So, yeah, yeah, teamwork. Yeah, it's yeah, teamwork makes the dream work and whatever. And it's <laughs> it it it's dumb. <laughs> it is pretty dumb. Yeah. Again, you know, taking the comic relief that we've seen with uh, various characters in the Disney movies in the 90s. I mean, we've had, again, going into, uh, you know, Robin Williams is the genie. And then they tried to do this again with all of the other characters. They tried to, you know, do this again with Phil from Hercules and Mushu from Mulan and Turk from Tarzan. Mm -hmm. And again, you know, I can see what they were trying to do. But yeah, just because you have, you know, Don Rickles and Eric Idle together. Together does not make it immediately funny it's like right hey, yeah we're gonna have this well-known comedian and we're gonna have you know one of the members of monty python coming together 
you can't turn that into gold. You actually yeah, have to- Yeah, like, and they're trying it. to do like a kind of odd couple thing where you have, you know, the kind of the prissy English one and, you know, the kind of more rough around the edges American one. But again, it's, it just doesn't work. Yeah, that just makes you question about like, okay, one is British and the other one is American and they're brothers. How does this work? Okay, <laughs> whatever. Yeah, it's kind yeah. of like, yeah, it just makes it sound pretty pretentious when you think about it. And they're even both named after like locations in England, Devon and Cornwall. So right. Sure. Anyway, but yeah, we have, uh, you know, trying to like give some drama into this where we get to know about Garrett's backstory about how he became blind and, you know, how nobody believed in him except for Sir Lionel, who taught him about that the night strength comes from his heart and stuff like that. And how he was able to learn the important lessons of, in, you know, being in the forest. So they're trying to bring some development between the characters, but it's very brief and you're trying to like justify them being as a couple i mean at least with again going into beauty and the beast again i'm sorry people at least they took the time to show off that yes you know bell and the beast started off pretty rough but mm -hmm. over time yeah they actually i mean fell considering that the movie is 90 minutes i think they developed that reasonably well right very good absolutely it's like one of the I, I would honestly call it one of the best developed relationships in a film period that mm -hmm. i can name off the top of my head just because it is handled as well as it is absolutely and considering that you know they didn't just fall in love in like literally like a day or two it took like weeks maybe even months for that to happen it, right. it did give the impression of that yeah Mm -hmm. exactly so i mean here's another thing I, I guess i completely forgot about this mentioning in the early part of the movie so um it according to what um juliana said it took about three days for them to go over from their house all the way to camelot so um throughout the beginning of the movie we have sir lionel who goes you know to camelot and it's like spring I think it's summer. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But then when they finally return after he's dead, it's winter time. How long did it take for them to go <laughs> all that way? Uh, anyway, that's just a nitpick I just thought of, but yeah. I digress. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so yeah, three days. It's it, I know this like the Little Mermaid, uh, you know, mentality about like, oh, in three days we'll fall in love. But yeah, but even that, it makes a lot of sense why they fell in love with each other because, mm -hmm. you know, she, you know, Ariel saw Prince Eric while he was performing at his birthday party. Prince Eric fell in love with her voice, and then eventually he had to fall in love with her as a, like as a person. Right. So mm -hmm. again, that makes sense. So you have three days of them like wandering around in this forest and trying to find Excalibur. They have a goal in mind, but then let's throw love in there. I mean, at this point in time, I'm thinking that, you know, platonic relationships are a thing. You know. Yeah. But no, I, I guess not. I mean, I guess they were trying to keep into the original story with, um, you know, the sisters falling in love with the brothers and one of them was named Garrett. So I guess they're trying, that's like the closest thing to kind of like tie this into the King's Damosel. But yeah, but other than that, it's, yeah, I, I just, I'm just not falling for it to be quite honest. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't can't say I blame you. Yeah. <laughs> And then, of course, we have to go into another love song, uh, you know, See Through Your <laughs> Eyes, where they're like, oh, yes, we're totally in love. Yeah. <laughs> Which, um, again, you know, I can kind of see what they were trying to do, but again, chemistry. It's, yeah, it. Um, this is, you know, the, you know, characters who start out antagonistic to each other and then kind of end up falling in love. I mean, we see that in Beauty and the Beast. You see, it's what—it's a very old trope. I mean, we've got—it's like much ado about nothing, Pride and Prejudice. There's a lot of there's a lot of places you can point to where this is done very well. This yes. is not done well at all. No, it's not. Right. Because they, no. you know, they start off, you know, kind of, you know, snippy and antagonistic towards each other, and then they have like maybe one scene where they have like a conversation, and then there's a love song, and then we're in love. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, we go over to the scene where they finally found where Excalibur is, and it turns out that an ogre has it. A, really... a very terrible CGI ogre. I was about to literally <laughs> yeah. say the same thing. A terrible CGI rock ogre. Even by, okay, even by the standards of late 90s, this was, you know, it's like, you know, you have... 
you know how you know in the old animated movies you know they would you'd have like tom, uh, animated shorts you'd have like tom the cat passing by a row of cupboards and one cupboard would be a little differently col colored than the rest and you knew that was the one that jerry was going to open and whack him with the frying pan <laughs> that's what this looks like this is like something that's you know just pa obviously pasted on top of you know the rest of the animation yeah and then it's like when you make the megazord from the first mighty morphin power rangers movie look like a work of cinematic art you've definitely taken a wrong turn yeah, you've taken several wrong turns your 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 uh your uh, navigation app on your phone has seriously malfunctioned and it's just saying turn left over and over again <laughs> your destination is three thousand miles away <laughs> I actually had something like that happen to me not too long ago. Oh, geez, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Well, I mean, it's funny now. Yeah, I'm sure it is now. But yeah, I mean, yeah, we have to go after this ogre because he's using Excalibur as a toothpick. And then, of course, we have Ruber in the in the limelight who's trying to go after the Excalibur. And then, of course, we have the freaking ogre's butt scene where he gets sat on, he gets farted, and the at. ogre farts on him. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> because again, this was the this was what we thought were, was um, going to be a hit animated movie in the '90s. We needed a fart joke. Yeah. Yep. Let's mm -hmm. let's throw that in there. Sure. And then, of course, we finally get into. Camelot and then Garrett says oh no no you go ahead I don't belong in that world I'm I'm gonna stay in the forest because that's where I belong it's like okay you know I, after everything that you've gone through you're still thinking that and you know again this is where like I said that you know this I believe that this kind of like gives me the idea that maybe if he would have been the main character that they probably would have gone into a scene where they would have had that but you know going into more depths on why he was feeling that way other than just oh he was blind and nobody believed in him and that kind of stuff so yeah i i, I wish that there was more development of that but no yeah. we have kaylee she gets captured immediately after she separates from garrett proving that she's a terrible protagonist yeah because they're like two <laughs> minutes to get captured yeah pretty right. much and then uh -huh. Ruber gets his potion, fuses himself with Excalibur because, you know, he doesn't want Excalibur to escape. And this is clearly going to go perfectly well. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally they get into Camelot going, you know, into the mentalities of, oh, we're going to copy off of the Trojan horse where it's like, OK, we're going to pretend that Juliana's going to be the one to... Uh, be inside just visiting Camelot for the first time in over 10 years since her husband died. Yeah, sure, let's let her inside. And then, of course, there's this huge attack. You know, the 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 knights are overwhelmed. And, of course, it's up to Kaylee and, and Garrett. And finally, Devin and Cornwall are able to um, get uh, agree with things so that they can be able to fly and throw fire. And then they were able to fight off against Ruber. They you know, tricked Ruber into putting the sword in the stone and then mm -hmm. happy endings for all where Garrett and Kaylee are knighted and they get married and they ride off literally into the sun. On the same horse. <laughs> they ride on a horse that says <laughs> we've been knighted. <laughs> That's literally how the movie ends. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, now, here's the thing. Like, I think that, like we said earlier in the podcast, I think there's some good ideas here, but you can definitely tell that the mandates behind Warner Brothers were like saying, let's add this and this and this into the movie because we think that, you know, because the Disney formula made uh, people really like it, we think that, you know, they'll definitely go see it. And again, mm -hmm. if they would have gone into the direction that, you know, they wanted to in the first place, I think, I mean, I don't know if it would have made like a lot of money, but at least you know, it will get people talking about like, wow, this was completely different than it was back then. I mean, mm -hmm. it's kind of funny because I recently saw the trailer. I don't know if you guys seen it. Have you seen the trailer to Nimona? I just saw it recently. I trying. Yeah. Yeah. I have not yet. 
Yeah, so Nimona is based off of uh, N.D. Stevenson's uh, comic uh, graphic novel series, where it's basically wow. like, you know, trying to like be a different take on like this, you know, crazy rambunctious uh, heroine. And it's trying to like break off what you would expect from like a fantasy tale with princesses and castles and mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. Right. It looks it looks great, by the way. I think that trying to break away from like the formula that we've been accustomed to with a lot of all uh, you know a, a lot of animated stuff that's mm -hmm. been coming out recently I, I mean you know that's what makes it really yeah it definitely that... had an an into the spider-verse kind of quality to the animation that i thought looked really good yes mm -hmm. and, and also i think that i i mean namona as a character i can root for it's like oh you know we have this really pretty sto story about like princesses and you know living happily ever after well not on my watch mm -hmm. <laughs> i'm gonna like you know, turn into a dragon and blow fire and wreck everything. It's like more, please. I mean, I like it when things are shaken up a little bit and we get mm -hmm. to break away from conventions. I, I just wish that Warner Brothers would see that people actually like it when things are different as opposed to things being kind of samey. Yeah. Anyway, but yeah, unfortunately, the movie was a flop when it came out, as we mentioned earlier with Lauren Faust's discussion. <laughs> and Very big flop. Yeah, major. I mean, well, I wouldn't say it's like, um, I mean, compared to like Iron Giant and Osmosis Jones and Looney Tunes back in action, I mean, it was like one of the lesser flops. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was not a good time period for Warner Brothers animation. I mean, even with like great films like uh, Batman Mask of the Phantasm underperformed, unfortunately. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I would argue that those movies, while they underperformed at the box office, those are actually good movies that, you know, have a lot of merit and definitely rewatch value. Whereas Quest mm -hmm. for Camelot is more of a one and done if that yeah and you can kind of you can kind of see why that you know um why they are kind of hesitant to do stuff uh that it's a little different when you have movies like iron giant that um you know kind of fail at the box office but i mean people you know eventually came around to it i mean most of those movies that we think of as from, you know, my generation in the 80s and 90s, those icons like The Princess Brides, Labyrinth, um, Dark Crystal, uh, they were they were didn't do well at the box office at all. Um, it took no, that whole video market for people to actually get on board and say, hey, this is pretty cool. And unfortunately, I think that's something we're really losing with the streaming model today is that. Um, it's a lot harder for those smaller um, niche movies to build their audience and really find um, their place in the canon. Yeah, mm -hmm. especially with a lot of exclusivity with streaming that mm -hmm. you don't know exactly what's going to be coming out unless, of course, if you have that prescription. And not to mention that, you know, we've been seeing this in recent years that you can't take, oh, it's exclusive to this streaming service for granted because a lot of this stuff can be removed. Exactly. Yes, I mean, um, when we're just as we're filming this, I mean, there's been a big dust up because Disney Plus is removing uh, the Willow series. Um, they were going right. to remove the Howard Ashman documentary, but I think they walked that back because everybody's like, uh, do you really want to be, you know, removing this story about, you know, one of your greatest lyricists who died from AIDS, like, a week before Pride Month and while you're in this big fight with the state of Florida over defending gay rights. But yeah, we're, a lot of that stuff, you know, they they just drop and you can't find it unless you, you know, pirate it. And, you know, I think uh, because they don't want to pay their writers residuals and that's why they're on strike now. So it's 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 a really bad model and I think they're exploiting it. And I don't think it's good. It's um, sustainable, especially now that the labor is saying, you know, we can't do this. Yeah, pretty much. And so you know, sure, we have our fair share of niche films. I mean, they are out there. You yes. just have to go search for it. And even with like uh, foreign films, again, you know, unless, of course, they have like a, a wide distribution, like with G Kids or even with uh, Cartoon Saloon, again, you know, unless you find those things, they are pretty niche. But again, you have to go out and find them. But it's yeah. becoming yeah. less and less. Fathom mm -hmm. like... Events has been doing some good stuff with like uh, some anime and um, older classic movies that 
um, they're doing live shows with. Um, a couple weeks ago, my husband and I saw the um, live stage version of Spirited Away that they did in Japan. Oh my gosh, I've been oh wanting my, to see this, that. It, it is extraordinary. I hope to God that they get this like on uh, some kind of download or DVD because honestly, Definitely. it is... It is like a masterclass in how stagecraft, you know, and just simple puppetry and image, uh, you know, sets and costumes create something extraordinarily magical. I mean, I was crying at the end. It's beautiful. It's, I really, I, there's no other word for it. I really want to see, see this so bad. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm hoping that it does come out because if it does, I will see it immediately because I've been hearing some great things on it. So, yeah. Anyway, so bottom line, Quest for Camelot does have some really good ideas. There are some things that, again could have been executed had they decided to not be mandated by the major executives at warner brothers but yeah i mean this is clearly like oh we're trying to cash in on the 90s disney formula all over and unfortunately it's not going to become like one of the cult hits from the 90s like cats don't dance or iron giant or any of those other movies so yeah again right. if you want to see a movie that came out around the same time that did a formula like this again go watch mulan yeah <laughs> so yeah i i think that at the end of the day um yeah, I, I mean, if you are curious of watching it as of the making of this podcast, it is for free on YouTube, so you can go check it out. Maybe you were one of those people who did like it, or maybe you were those people who didn't like it, or maybe you've never seen it before, but, <laughs> you know, try to see if, you know, maybe our, our thoughts of it would, you know, maybe get you curious into tuning in, and maybe you come up with your own conclusion. I'm actually really curious. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that should be it for our discussion of Quest for Camelot. So, Diva Creepy, thank you so much for coming on by. Thank you for oh, having me. Agreed. Thank you. All right. So, as usual, guys, plug and promote your stuff. All right. I'm at Musical Hell on YouTube, uh, Twitter, still for the time being, kind of on Spoutable, Tumblr, Facebook. Um, so, yeah, come find me. Come watch my stuff. I reviewed Quest for Camelot um a lot of those don bluth movies we talked about and a lot of you know the really bad uh disney knockoff stuff so all right uh i am on uh, vimeo nowadays and OnlyFans. that's become something of a low-key joke it was like <laughs> one of the few places i could find that i could uh, post my stuff that they wouldn't give me crap about <laughs> Um, I've also, I have, uh, one book that came out last year. I have finished a se the second one in the series and I am working on the third one now. I'm also working on a young adult, uh, supernatural mystery series at the moment that, uh, uh, is not going to be the standard fare that everyone has both lauded and criticized me. The few people who know about what I write. <laughs> Yeah, it's going to involve teenagers, and they're not going to be do. They're ironically, it's going to involve teenagers, and they're going to be avoiding doing the one thing that teenagers are most famous for doing: <laughs> sneaking out at night. <laughs> All right. So yeah, and as for me, uh, you can check out my work. Uh, you can check out my blog, which is at oldschoollane.net. Uh, there's yes, YouTube. <laughs> there's youtube.com slash oldschoollane, facebook.com slash oldschoollane. I'm on Twitter at patty underscore b underscore Miranda. You can check out my podcasts on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, many places. New episodes of the podcast will go there first, and then they'll go up in a few days on YouTube. Uh, like I said, as of the making of this, I'll probably be gone at Momocon. So uh, you guys uh, who are there, I'm hoping to see you at my panel, which is going to be at at room uh, 404 and it'll be discussing about how I analyze um, you know media and how I am able to write down and do my research for the videos that I do and uh, how I conduct my interviews so I can be able to get information that is pretty much unknown uh, across the internet so if you want to know about how I do my work then please show up on my panel it's going to be at Sunday May 28th at 8:30 a.m. and it's at room 404 over at the georgia convention center in atlanta georgia for mobile so i'm hoping to see you guys there 
All right, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to us talking about Quest for Camelot. Let us know in the comments below about what your thoughts of are this movie. So did you like it? Did you not like it? Have you never seen it and you're curious into watching it? And let us know about some of the ideas that you think could have been made into a much better product. Or maybe this was like doomed from the start. So that's <laughs> it. Hope to see you around soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank <laughs> you.